good to be here this morning, and certainly uh, as we think about uh, the, you know, being in a, a warm building, um, a dry building, and then thinking about uh, the many people that are uh, without power and probably without homes, and, and some of them flooded, if not uh, destroyed, uh, certainly we need to keep those folks in our prayers this morning, because uh, you just think about devastation, and you know you think about losing everything in a flood. I mean, think about picture. I mean, not just the things that are, you know, that have you know possessions. Those things can be replaced, but you know, like uh, you know, your pictures, things that you know that are very special to you, things like that. You think, wow, losing all of that would be very difficult for people. Uh, Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, just, uh, you know, we take so much for granted, don't we? We really do, and uh, we need to pray for those folks. And I know uh, the PCA is sending uh, groups of people down as well to, to help out, and so uh, they have a, uh, a group of guys in M&A that do that as well, and they'll be rebuilding houses and cleaning up houses and doing that kind of thing. So that'll be going on for, I imagine, years. I mean, it's going to take a long time to re rebuild everything. So, um, but anyway, this morning, um, we've been uh, looking at some of the parables, and I uh, thought we'd look at another parable in uh, Luke chapter 15. And uh, <clears throat> the parable is one that's entitled uh, The Prodigal Son. So I think most people have heard that one. Uh, if you haven't, then you, I imagine that this is probably the most uh, uh, known parable, of the one that Jesus taught and I thought it would be helpful just to think about uh, this morning about what Jesus uh, is doing here in Luke chapter 15, especially as it relates to not just this brother, but actually, uh, if you really think about it a while, and I want you to think, well, we're going to think together this morning, is that there's two lost brothers here. I never thought about that, you know, when I first, when I always read this, I always thought, well, yeah, I understand prodigals. Do any, think about it. I mean, I have several prodigals. Uh, that in my family, you know, I had an uncle that I never met until I was like in, in college, actually. Um, he had run away from home. Uh, his name was Ken, but he changed his name from Ken Rollins to Ken Collins. And he went out west. Uh, he ran away from home. He, he went out west. I don't know when he ran, ran away from home. Uh, my dad didn't go into all the details, but uh, he ran away from home. He went out west, became a cowboy and uh, a cook. On ranches. And then at the end of his life, he got cancer and he came back home. And one day, dad got a call. Never heard from him all these years. But at the end of his, close to end of his life, before he died, he called and he says, you know, I want to come home. And, uh, and I got a chance to meet him. And it was a very, uh, for me, it was a very sad thing in a way. I mean, it was happy in a sense that I got to meet him. But it was sad because he was at the end of his life. And uh, he had just... Uh, you know, he just didn't have any, any hope at all. And I thought, wow, that's what a prodigal is like. But then I thought, well, you know, I wonder how many of us have, have experienced that in our families or extended families or we know of families who have those types of situations. And, and certainly uh, they're painful because there's so many unanswered questions, aren't there, in those situations. You know, you think, well, could I have done anything different? 
Uh, could I have said something different? Could I, you know, what, what circumstances brought that on and so forth? And so there's those types of questions. But Jesus, as he's teaching this parable, it's kind of interesting because the, what, what caused the parable to be, uh, for Jesus to give this parable, it's in the setting of three other parables. There's the lost sheep, there's the lost coins, and then there's the lost son. And so he gives this, but the reason he gives this is because Jesus has one main desire that he wants to communicate for us this morning. And it's given to us, really, you can almost pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 15, and then we're going to drop down and read, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. But notice in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And of course, later on in Luke, he says that he's a friend of sinners. And so they're upset that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus is saying, well, this is why I'm doing this. And then he gives the three parables. Because God is in the business of searching for his lost sheep and his lost coin and also his lost son. And so that's, uh, that's kind of like the setting, if you will, because Jesus is very popular at this point. Um, he's at the end, almost at the end of his ministry. This is about a three-month period before he goes into Jerusalem and gets crucified. And so here in verse 11, he picks up here. We're going to pick up. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the, the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Can you imagine wanting to slop? I mean, have you ever slopped hogs? Okay, I haven't. It's not, I mean, it's, that's, uh, that's bad stuff. It stinks. It's, it's sour. It's just, well, he wants to eat that stuff. You're thinking, okay, he's at the end. Well, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. In other words, he was moved, splachna, he was moved inside. He was, just, he was just moved with compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and a shoe on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called out of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you in this uh, special moment, as we reflect on this parable, Lord, there's a lot here, and certainly none of us can really comprehend the, the amazing love of our God for uh, his lost sheep. We thank you, Father, for this parable, just as a reminder of how, uh, how, how deep the love of God is for uh, sinners. And uh, the cost that uh, you're willing to go to, Father, in order to redeem us and to make us your children. And Father, as we think about this uh, parable this morning and as we reflect on what you're saying here, we also would pray for those, Lord, who are uh, going through a difficult time now. Father, thinking of those folks in Florida. Uh, We lift them up and we ask, Lord, for your special care. Uh, Lord, comfort and strength. And Father, ways that we as a a community as a people not only can pray but can help in some, some form, in some fashion. Uh, Lord, pray for those that are immediate helpers, especially for, for their safety. And we ask now that you would uh, bless the word to our hearts this morning. Lord, give us, give us a, a deeper understanding of your grace to us in Christ. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. As we go through this uh, psalm, I want to just, just mention there's something missing, and I want you to think about what's missing in the psalm, or, or in this parable, okay? Because we're going to be going, th- as we go through this parable, there's something missing, and Jesus wants us to catch it. So, uh, so think about that. So this parable, it's, 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 this parable is in the midst of three other parables, and so Jesus, is, as he's teaching here, he's basically is, is trying to, for us to, He's, trying to, he's tying this together because there's not just one lost brother, there's two. We don't see it at first, but, but what, what ties it all together is the amazing love of the father for his two sons, right? Because you see the love, it's, it's, being, it's, it's coming out here. But so we have a picture of two brothers who plan to live their life on their own terms. One wants to live life and just live it up. And just, I mean, if you, it's, we, we would call it, he wants to find himself, right? He's going to go out and just recklessly spend whatever he has uh, until it's all gone. And the other brother, however, has, an, has a similar plan. It's not the same plan, but it's very much that he wants to live life on his own terms. But he wants to do it by being very obedient outwardly to all the rules of the family. And you're saying, well... Where do you see that? Well, we're going to look at it just a little bit more in detail. And so we're going to see those two sons. Now, both of them have a plan. Both of them want to live life. Both of them want what they want. They want the possessions, but neither one of them want the father. Because you notice the older son later, he'll say, look, you. He doesn't even call his dad, dad. He says, look, you. I've been slaving for you for all these years, and you don't even give me not just the fatted calf. You won't even give me the goat. It's, 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 it, you begin to start sensing that this son feels like he's earned his way into the father's possessions and therefore deserves that as well. So we're going to look at that too, but, but let's look at the prodigal son's liberation plan. How does it going? Okay. His plan is, um, is to go out and have freedom. He's, he's tired of home. He's tired of the food. He's tired of the rules. He's tired of being told what to do. And he, and he basically goes to his father and he says, give me uh, my possessions. 
Now, in that particular community, to do that, what, what that meant is that most of the possessions were in property, right? And if you got a lot of property that you have to sell and you want the money quickly, then what's going to happen? You're going to take a big loss, right? But the younger son in, in that culture was entitled to a third of the possessions. But the caveat was this. He had to wait until his father died. And if he did receive that third of the possessions, then the father had the right, you might say it was kind of like a living estate. He had the right to those possessions until the father died. Whatever income he could get from the land, all of that would go back to the father until the father died. Well, the son comes and he asks for it now. And basically what he's saying is, Father, I wish you were dead now because I could go. Okay, that's, that's how rude. I mean, this is how, in that culture, it would be like, I just wish you would die because I want my money. I, I want to go out and live it up. I mean, everybody else is having fun. I want to have fun too. And that's, that's basically kind of his, his, his frame of thinking. And, and so what happens here is notice he goes out um, after, he gets, after he does the fire cell, <laughs> I mean, and he, he takes what he can, it says he goes off, no, he goes off into a far country. Not just, I'm not going to just go next door. I'm going to get away as far away from home as I can because I'm sick of this place. That, that's the attitude. And he takes it and it says that as he does that, uh, he goes into a far country and it says, notice that in verse 13, it says that he squandered his property in reckless living. It mean, basically, it means this. He's just throwing his money around, buying friends, buying drinks, buying whatever he can, just, just living it up, just having a good time. And so he's, he, you know, not thinking about tomorrow, not thinking about the future, not thinking about anything. He's just, he's just having a good time. But all of a sudden, one day he wakes up and, he does, and he's hungry. He's Probably, you know, probably got a hangover, whatever it is. He's, uh, he's hungry. He's out of money, and he doesn't have a job. And the only job he can find is feeding pigs. Now, if somebody wants to give, get rid of you, what are they going to do? They're going to give you the worst job. <laughs> I mean, think about it. He's a Jewish kid. Feeding pigs is unclean. Now, if you want to get rid of somebody you don't want around, you give them a job you, you know they won't take. Well, he, he's so desperate, he takes the job. And he's so hungry that he gets, he's, he's at the point of he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. So he's, you, you might say, um, he's hit bottom, right? You know, he had to hit bottom. And as he hit bottom here, it, it's, it's almost like the pain becomes to, he begins to feel the pain of his decision. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of times people, you know, I'll say to people, um, you know, when a person, when the pain is greater than the benefit, what happens? You start becoming, start thinking clearly. Well, he's starting to come to himself. Notice that? But when he came to himself in verse 17. In other words, the pain is real. The, the, the struggle's real. He's beginning, to under, he's beginning to feel the pain of his bad, his bad decision. Um, and uh, he begins to even reason like this. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough to bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And, and at this point, it sounds like a good confession. Wouldn't you, would you agree? It sounds good, but notice what he's doing now. He's, going to ref he's saying, I will reform my life. I will go back to my father, not live in the house. I will earn my way back to the father. 
and I will at some point build enough trust, I hope, that he'll be able to trust me again. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? But what's the problem? The relationship between the father and the son has been broken, right? There needs to be reconciliation in that relationship. It's not just the father. I mean, think about the father never mentions the fact that he's already wasted a third of the the possessions. And you're going like, man, man, if he comes home, we're going to have a long discussion. He's getting a tongue lashing. He's get, I mean, he's going to, I'm going to tell him how, how embarrassing, how shameful he has treated our family and run off and done what he's done to our family. In other words, he, they've lost face in the community. And the father, you would think, would have every right to say that. I, I, I think as a father, I would think, man, we're going to have a long talk, not just a five-minute talk. We're going to have probably, it's going to be hours. And, uh, you know, it's like a lecture. <laughs> I mean, you know, but his plan at this point is that he's going to work his way back to the father. There's, there, there's a certain amount of truth that, that he says, you know, I can repair the relationship on my own. But think of the cost of his rebellion and his sin. And what he's, Jesus is trying to picture is that is a picture of us. Our sin the cost of our sin is greater than anything that we can repair on our own, right? And who's going to have to absorb the cost for God to forgive us? Jesus Christ is, isn't he? He's going to have to take that cost. And so his confession, while I think it's good because, I mean, truly, he has sinned against heaven and against his father, but he can't fix it. That's the problem. I mean, we, you know, he, he knows he's sinned. He knows he's, he's done what's wrong. But he really doesn't understand the extent of the damage that has been, that's been caused uh, by his sin. And so his plan falls short. But the father, notice his response to his son. Notice as he comes back in verse 20. Now, he asked, by by the way, he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. That just means he'd live out of town. He would hire himself back as a day laborer for his father. And that he would, he would, that way he could get away from his elder brother, (laughs) which he probably didn't like. Uh, Neither one of them probably got along. Uh, He could get away. He would, he would not have to, um, he would not have to listen to anybody's rules. He could still live on his own rules, Uh, but he could still earn some money. And hopefully, over time, maybe get himself in a position to earn his way back into the family. But notice how the father responds. The father's plan is different. See, he's wanting to, he's wanting to some way reform things enough to earn his way back. But God has a different plan. It's called reconciliation. It's called restoration. And notice how the father reacts here. In verse 20, and he rose and he came to his father. But notice what the father does here. But while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, the idea there is not just that he kissed him. He just kept feverishly kissing him. Now, this guy, he's in rags. He stinks from pigs. And his father's got him embraced and he's kissing him. And you're going like, yuck. But, but, but the point is, too, is that in that culture, a dig, it was undignified for an older man to run in that culture. In order for him to run, he had to take his robe, tie it up between his legs, 
and he had to run. And, and to run in that culture meant you, you're bringing, you know, what in the world are you doing? That's, that is so undignified. That is so shameful for you to run. And you're running to that son of yours? What in the world are you thinking? Who's, what, notice the shame that's coming. Where's the shame going? The shame's going to the father. He's, he is willingly going, because he loves his son so much, he's willing to take the shame of whatever the culture may think of him at this point. It's, 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 it's a beautiful picture of God's love. And, and what's moving the father here is that he loves his son so much. But I do think also that the community, he knows that if the community gets to his son first, you know what they're going to do? There was a ceremony that would happen. It was called the, the, kits, the kitsa ceremony. And what would happen if the, if, the, if, the, if the community saw the son coming, they would go out and they would take, um, I think it was what it was, they'd have this uh, pot and uh, with stones and other thing, and they would break the pot in front of him and say, you are no longer welcome in this community. You're no longer welcome in this family. You have shamed the community. You've shamed your family. You are an outcast, and you can never come back. And I think the father knows that. That was, that was a very common practice in that, that society. It doesn't, you have to, you know, as you, as you look at the, the background here. So I think the father also wanted to save the son from that embarrassment as well. Because if he's cast out, he can't come back again. I mean, the extent to which the father goes to retrieve the son who is the prodigal. And you're going like, I don't know. God loves us that much. <laughs> That he was willing to go to that extent. Again, you, you, you see the, the love of God and just how, how deep God has, has loved us. In other words, he's burnt all the bridges and God is what? Repairing all the bridges. And he's doing that and he's going to do that uh, as, as he goes through this. And so, so what, what some people have said here is that one of the, another, another definition of prodigal here is extravagant. Do you think God is just overdoing it a little bit about loving us? Think about it. The extravagant love of God. God's just bursting out in love for his people. And it's just, it's over the top. It's, 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 it's over the boundaries. There's, it's, it doesn't make sense. And this father just keeps doing this. And yet, that's what the Bible tells us. God commends his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of love that God has for sinners. See what kind of love the Father's given to us, John, 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called the children of God, and we are. And you're going like, where did that come from? Why did God do that? Well, it's, it, God, God's salvation plan originated in the love of God. He loves us so much that he's willing to pay the cost, whatever that price is. And ultimately, it's his son, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. But what else does he do? Verse 22. So the son begins to, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's going to go ahead and say, and may I'll be a servant. And the father stops him. What's he do? The father says to his servants, Go and get the best robe. You know the best robe in the house was? It was the father's robe. <laughs> You're going like, why would he give him the father's robe? To give him the father's robe, that, 
that's just, that's just beyond. I mean, that's, that's beyond, that's more than enough. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Why? Because he wants him to come into the celebration and he wants to celebrate with him and he wants him to have the best robe in the house. And you're going like, wow. But you're saying, okay, well, what, why, why, would, why would the father do that? His love, it's extra, his extravagant love. But not just, he doesn't stop with the robe. What else does he tell him? He says, and place the signet ring on his finger. There's this ring that the father had, and it was the signet ring. Well, the ring on his hand would basically mean the father's restoring to him his authority to make decisions about the possessions. Now, now think about it. The older son's not real happy, do you think? He's got, he's got the two-thirds left, <laughs> and the father is saying, well, you know, I'm going to put the signet ring on your hand. That signet ring was, was, was a sign of authority. It was a sign that, you, you, that you're a part of the family again. But doesn't God put a signet ring on us when he saves us? It's called the Holy Spirit. That's the signet ring that every Christian bears. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, um, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed, that's the signet ring, that's the seal, with the promised Holy Spirit. God puts the signet ring on. You know, one of the highest blessings of the Christian life, now, the foundational blessing of our Christian life is being justified by faith in Christ, Right? We don't do anything for that. We just trust that Christ's work on the cross was sufficient. But the highest blessing in our Christian life is sonship. And that's what he's doing here. He's restoring his son to sonship. Not only with the ring, but notice he puts shoes on his feet. Servants didn't wear shoes back in that culture. Only the son or the daughters wore shoes. And so not only that, God shoes us with what? The gospel. Ephesians 6.15, he put, puts shoes on our feet. It's called the gospel. But this doesn't stop there. What else does he do? The father holds a big celebration for the whole community. This is not just a local celebration. A f- the fatted calf was reserved only for special occasions when you wanted to, to invite a whole community to celebrate with you. And you're going like, this is way over the top, right? <laughs> In fact, most of us sitting here would say, there's no way am I going to go to that extent to welcome back a prodigal, right? Are you amazed at the love of God? He is celebrating, and it says, in fact, later, earlier on in this, when he gave the other parables, he says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 that didn't. And you know who the rejoicing is doing? Who's doing the rejoicing? That there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one lost coin or one lost person coming to Christ. It's the Father that's rejoicing here. See, that, that should even shock us. That, in other words, this celebration is so the Father is just bubbling over with thanksgiving. And you're going like, this makes no sense to me. But that's the gospel. That's the gospel that God loves us so much that he doesn't just, he doesn't say, yeah, you can come back in, but boy, you're going to grovel the rest of your life. You're going to pay for it. You're always going to remember everything you did wrong. I'm going to bring it up every day. 
He doesn't even bring it up because he casts our sins into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our sins from us. Brothers and sisters, we should always be just overjoyed and, and just elated that there's, there's this bubbling overflow of God's love for us as his people. And because of that, we need to realize that the shame that we should bear, think about it, the prodigal should bear some shame here. Wouldn't you think? I mean, I'm going to let him know because I'm the elder brother here, <laughs> you know. I mean, if you've been raised in a church, guess what? There's a lot. I mean, we may not think of ourselves as elder brothers, but we have a lot of elder brother thinking, right? We tend to think, well, Lord, I've been serving you all these years. I've been a deacon or I've been, a, I've been an elder. I've been a pastor. I've been a Sunday school teacher. And you're not giving me what I think I deserve in my Christian life, and it's not going the way that I think it should go, and therefore, I'm upset with who? I'm upset with God. Lord, you're just not doing it right. <laughs> and what Jesus is trying to get to is that we still have a lot of that remnants still in us. Think about it. I mean, haven't you ever thought, well, I go to church every week. I wonder what those people are doing, you know? And we tend to develop some stigmas and, and attitudes and, and even judgmentalism and, and self-righteousness. I mean, it, it creeps in, doesn't it? I don't, ha I don't even have to ask. For, I, don't, I don't go to prayer and say, Lord, would you give me a little more self-righteousness? I mean, it's there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just a part of, of Lord, who I am. I, Lord, I, even though I, I've been serving you, I still think I deserve a little bit better because I've been doing this for a lot longer. I mean, I've been a Christian for, what, uh, 58 years that I know of. Isn't it amazing? Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and notice this, despising the shame. When Jesus looked at us, he didn't look at your shame. And seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And notice what the father's explanation is to the son here. Notice at the end. In verse, um, verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We had to celebrate because what? This. Well, notice what the son said. This son of yours. What does the father do? He turns around. This brother of yours. Isn't it Interesting. And, turns, and he says, because he was lost, he's found. You know, someone said this, we're never so like God as when we rejoice at the salvation of sinners. And we're never more like Satan as when we despise those who are thus converted and think ourselves superior to them. That was Dr. Boyce in his, one of his uh, books that he wrote on uh, this parable. So... What about the elder son? What's, what's wrong with him at this point? Well, let's just look just briefly. We, can't, we won't go very long here, but, but notice how the older son reacts to this. Now, notice his plan was if I'm just good, if I do all the outward things correctly, then I should earn my father's favor. And so, um, so he calls uh, the servant and asks him what these things meant. In verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back and safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and, and treated him. Now, for the father to come out, 
I mean, he's, they're, they're in the celebration, and what normally would happen is the elder brother was supposed to come in and serve the other guests. There's no way he's going in there. <laughs> that good-for-nothing brother of mine. <laughs> you know? And he is just, and he, it's this, this idea he was angry, he's fuming. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's stressed. I mean, he's just ready to, uh, he's ready to blow a, a circuit here. And, and, but his father, for his father to come out meant that his father, again, is bringing shame on himself. He has to go out and beg. He's begging, that word entreat there, he's begging his son to come in. Please come in. Please come in. Please come in. And he's not coming in. And, and then the son, when he speaks to his father, notice how he speaks to him. But he answered his father, look you. That's the idea. Look you. Not dad. I don't understand this. It's look you. In other words, what are you doing? You, you don't make sense. The, these many years I've, I've slaved. That word there, served, is just the word slave. I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed you. Your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Does he love the father or does he love the two-thirds of the possession? In other words, he wants, he wants the estate too, right? There's something that's very common in both of their lives. They both want something other than God the father. See, the very definition of sin is not, you know, sin is, yes, we break the rules, we obey the rules. Sin is also, but I can conform and do, you know, I, I mean, I was, my brothers used to get irritated because I, I, I kind of obeyed the rules, but in my heart, I didn't. They just didn't know that. <laughs> but I did follow the outward rules and, and sometimes they didn't, but you know, there were times I didn't either, but I was sneaky about that. Nobody saw that, say. Okay, but that, I mean, so the, so the elder son is basically, so there's different ways to be lost. You can be lost, because, lost basically means this, you don't want a relationship with the father. And that's the very essence of what it means to be not saved. You don't want a relationship. It's, it's all about a personal relationship with God. And if you don't want that, regardless of whether you're religious and you follow all these rules of the community or whatever, and or if you break all the rules, both of them are wrong. But the point is, is that you're still lost until that relationship is fixed. Because one of the things that God hates is pride, right? God's opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. So if you were a younger brother, you would say, what's wrong with the world is that we don't have more open-minded people who think outside the box. And if you talk to legalistic people, they'd say, well, no, what's wrong with the world is all those people that don't follow the rules, right? And there's, that's, what, that's the big problem with the world right now. What does Jesus say? No, you're both wrong. We're all wrong. He said, what? The humble are in and the proud are out. If you don't want a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're lost. That's very simple. And that's the basics of the gospel, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you'll say, but, but, but what about the rules? Well, as God, when God saves us, guess what? He, he, the rules all become, it's not like rules in order to be saved. It's rules because we, have, we want to please God. All of a sudden, what God says is something that we want to do. Now, it's not perfectly. 
we know that we still fall short. But the motivation there is to please the Father. Now, I did ask you that question. The elder son didn't want to, <laughs> think about it. The elder son did not want to expend the effort and time or wanted to serve the father nor the, the younger son, right? In fact, they're both. I mean, in fact, the, the reason there's something missing here is because we don't have an elder brother that wants to go after the lost brother. Um, there's a story that was told by, um, uh, told by um, <clears throat> pastor. He said that there was a man during a, a, a older man during war, uh, during Vietnam war that actually lost a brother in uh, missing an action in Vietnam. And, uh, he, uh, at his own expense went over to Vietnam looking for his brother in the jungles and, uh, neither side, the North Koreans and the South Koreans, they just referred to him as the brother and they wouldn't mess with him because he was looking, he was, he was trying to find his brother. He went to the, he would go to the battlefields. He'd go all these different places looking for his younger brother who, who he, he, thought may, may either still be alive, but they wouldn't mess with him because they knew that he loved his brother that much that he was willing to put himself in danger to do that. See, the, in that culture, the elder brother was supposed to go after the younger brother. But we have an elder brother that did, right? He left where? He left heaven and came to earth. Far country. <laughs> Why did he do that? He who was rich for our sakes at his expense became poor. That we through his poverty might be made rich. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2, and he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's not, I mean, can you imagine? That's the gospel. See, that, see that's what makes the gospel exciting is that God's not ashamed. I mean, think about it. I hear I am laying in my sinful pride and my rebellion and my wanting to live life my own way and make myself happy and, 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 and who cares about anybody else? And God comes and he saves me. And I goes like, that makes no sense to me. Why would God love me? Because it says he's not ashamed to call me his brother and his sister. When I read that passage, I'm going like, why? He, there's all the reasons in the world that God should be ashamed of me. But he's taken away all of those reasons. Why? The blood of Jesus, what? Cleanses us from all our sins. The cost had to be paid. There was a cost. He had to bear the wrath of God. He had to, the justice of God had to be satisfied. Sin had, the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. In order for him to, love, to bestow his salvation on us means that somebody had to pay. And what's missing in, this, in the parable is this, is that, Jesus is that elder brother that willingly, it doesn't say that he had to come. It says he willingly came and gave his life on the cross. And so when you read chapter 15 and it says, why is Jesus eating with uh, tax collectors and sinners? Because he's not ashamed. They think that this is making Jesus look shameful. This is exposing Jesus to all kinds of uh, ridicule, and even embarrassment. But think about it. Who was unclothed on the cross to give you your, your, your robe of righteousness? Jesus was fully unclothed on the cross. He's bearing the shame. And he wasn't wearing any shoes, was he? 
He was dying as a slave, a servant, an outcast. He was an outcast, actually. He became an outcast. They, what, they said they, they actually crucified him outside the city. He's an outcast. He's, uh, there is, I mean, he's bearing all the shame of the cross in order to heap upon us all the blessings of salvation. And that blessing comes ultimately every time, you know, we have a symbol of it in communion, right? God wants to feast with us because he's waiting for the big feast. There's going to be a wedding feast at the end of history. And it's going to be so great, so marvelous. And Jesus is going to hold his hands out and say, I'm so glad to be with my brothers and sisters. That's the gospel. Why wouldn't we want this church to be filled with all kinds of sinners saved by grace, right? That, I, mean, I mean, there's people out there. Well, I mean, there's people that would beat down the doors to think that God loves us that much that he's going to wipe our record out. He's going, to, he's, going to bestow, he's going to bestow on us a forgiveness and take away all the condemnation of our sins. Why wouldn't people want to do that? Well, it's because they're lost, and until God opens their eyes to the beauty of the cross, they won't. But, but guess what? We have that message. That's why we're here. That's why we, you know, and by the way, the reason we need these kind of messages, because we need to be reminded of how much God's done in our life and how much love he's bestowed upon us. And we don't become bitter and angry and thinking that, Lord, I deserve better than this. And we should just say, Lord, you, you just, you have poured out your love on me, even despite the fact that I'm undeserving of that. And when we do that, guess what? There's something that happens inside the heart and, and our soul. It causes us to sing. Uh, amazing grace becomes really amazing, right? You know, not, you know, a rock of ages, you know. It's, it's not the works of my hands that fulfills the law's just demands. Who, what is it? It's the, it's, it's the works of Christ. It's the work of Christ on the cross. And so, um, so I just thought that, you know, I know I, I covered a lot in this, this uh, parable. But, but it, what it does is that it just opens up for us a, 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 a new dimension of seeing the deep, deep love of God for his people. And the cost that he was willing to go because he, want, he doesn't just want to just bestow a little love on us. He's bestowing everything on us because we become heirs and join heirs with who? Jesus Christ. Amazing grace, amazing love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And I know sometimes we, we get lost in the details, but Lord, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ. And we ask that that grace would just ever, Father, just surprise us, awaken us, renew us, and fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.